Church family, it is truly an honor and a blessing to be able to gather on Sunday morning together and worship our great King. Amen? But I, I pray that we will realize that <clears throat> the enemy of the gospel is at work and is not happy when we prioritize gathering together to worship him. And we need to be not afraid of that, but we need to be aware of that. And so I pray that as God's word goes out at this second service that we will be confident that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Amen? And the reason I say that to you is because in this morning's service, I just share this with you, so that we come prepared every day for spiritual warfare. But halfway through sharing the, the message this morning, I looked down on my, my notes and uh, I realized I was missing a complete page. I was like, man, where have they gone? So in between services, I went back to my office. I texted the tech team up there. I said, sorry, sorry, guys. I don't know where, but a page of my notes was missing. I went and reprinted a whole set of my notes in between services, went back to my desk. And when I started to flip through my notes from the first service, the page that was blank in the first service, the words were back on it. I don't know what went on. But I can tell you before the Lord, I turned that page over thinking this must be where my notes are and it was blank. So I just share that with us to say the gospel that we have, that we preach, that we declare, the enemy does not want it to go out. But praise God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we will continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully trusting him to get the message out. Amen? So as we turn to God's word this morning, we're going to be focusing on the topic on the move of keep your heart inclined upwards. Keep your heart inclined upwards. In the first service, we had seven families with babies to dedicate. It was amazing. And then the, the second service, we had Tabitha and Josh. So eight families this morning. And trying to learn all those different names is always a challenge for a man who's getting older. But I'm going to give you a mouthful of names. Shasha, Shumba, Sheba, and Judah. And you might be going, what in the world is he on this morning? Shasha, Shumba, Sheba, and Judah. Do you know what those names are? You don't know. Those names are the names of our three German shepherds and Rottweiler. <laughs> that along with our six-foot cement wall with broken jagged glass on the top, and burglar bars on our windows were part of the intentional ways our family guarded ourselves from dangers that were outside while we lived overseas. And as I was preparing this, this week, I thought, do you know of all the things King Solomon, a man in the Bible described as one who gave God wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Do you know of all the things that he said we are to guard, what was the most important thing he said we're to guard? Our hearts. That's right, our hearts. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your hearts for it is the wellspring of life. Out of it flows everything. It's the core of our being. It's where our dreams and desires and our passions reside. It's where we connect with God and we connect with one another. 
And so Moses in Deuteronomy chapter five kicks off his second sermon to that second generation. And he's wanting to switch their focus from looking back to now looking up so that they might receive present instruction so that they might live in obedience to the Lord their God. And with the prospect of entering the promised land, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses wanted them on the move to keep their hearts inclined upwards and to recognize that with freedom comes responsibility. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, a very familiar passage. This is Moses' second sermon to the people. Verse 1, Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leaders of your tribes and your elders came to me, and you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks to them, but now why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to the, all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard what this people said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always. So that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go, tell them to return to their tents. 
But you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land I'm giving them to possess. That is the word of the Lord. That was the present instructions that God had for that second generation. And from this chapter, I want to highlight this morning two factors that play a significant role in keeping their hearts and our hearts inclined upwards on our journey. And the first one is this, experience and remember God's great salvation. If you experience and you remember God's great salvation, your heart will be inclined upwards. And Moses began his fifth sermon by calling the people to hear God's decrees and laws, learn them, and then he emphasizes, be sure to follow them. These were the covenant requirements of the people of God, to hear his word, to learn his word, and to be sure to follow them. And what was critical, as I noted, is in verse 2, is who was the one who initiated the covenant relationship with them? It was God. Did Moses not say the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb? What a great reminder that God was and always is the initiator of a relationship with people. He's the one who initiated relationship with you and with me. Think about it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it reads, we love because he first loved us. You're here this morning because God shared his love with you. And now you are responding. And so the covenant the Lord made with the people of Israel at Sinai was initiated by him. And it was personal. Did you see what he said in verse 3 and 4? The covenant was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant with, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. And yes, although the covenant at Sinai was a renewal of the covenant God had made with their patriarchs, it was, according to this text, also distinct from the Abrahamic covenant, highlighting that their relationship with God was to be their own. Just like we did the baby dedication with Joth and Tabitha this morning, it would be awesome if they could somehow transfer their faith in God to young Seth, but they can't. One day it has to be Seth's face, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It couldn't be the patriarch's faith in this generation. It couldn't be their parents' faith in this generation. It was to be their own. And even though those listening that day as he began his second sermon would have only been children when the people of Israel received the covenant at Sinai, and even though many of those who were there that day, these children had witnessed their parents die in the wilderness, during the wilderness wandering, God remained faithful to his word. God remained faithful to his word, and Moses wanted this generation to know his word and to live according to it. It's also important that before he even gave them the stipulations of the covenant, he draws their attention to what God had said to them 40 years earlier on that day in verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God's great act of redemption on their behalf is what was to motivate them 
to incline their hearts to want to learn, to hear, and to follow his commands. Because the end goal is not head knowledge. It's life change through obedience. And likewise, for us gathered here today, the great redemption that we have received in Christ Jesus is what should motivate our hearts, incline our hearts upwards to live a life of obedience before our holy heavenly Father. That's the motivation for obedience. It's not to check off the box. Obedience is a response to the great salvation that we have received. And each year at Passover, the Jews were reminded of God's great act of salvation on their behalf. And each time we gather as the family of brothers and sisters here at Calvary to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that Christ died for us so that we may be saved from the consequences of our sin and the fact that we have been brought into a right relationship with God. That's why I love Psalm 51:12. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Experience and remember God's great salvation. That will help to keep your heart inclined upwards on the journey. So I ask you this morning, do you have a personal relationship with God? Have you repented of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and are you following him? And if you answer, yes, Pastor Calvin, by grace, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then may I ask you how I was challenged this week. How is your motivation to hear, to learn, and to follow God's commands? And does your commitment to studying the truth of God's word reflect accurately your appreciation of his great redemption in your life? And if not, then I ask you what practical ways can you be more diligent in learning the truth of God's word? You want to keep your heart inclined upwards? Experience and remember God's great salvation. The second factor that will help us on our journey and that would help them on their journey is to know and follow God's commands. To know and follow God's commands. And the Ten Commandments were to guide the Israelites in how they were to live out their lives in covenant relationship first with God and then with one another. So we're going to go through these pretty quickly. and We're going to look at it from those two perspectives. The commandments that help them to learn how to live in right relationship with God and the commandments that would help them to learn how to live in right relationship with one another in community. And so the first part, verses 7 to 15 God's commands, in particular the first four commandments, were to help them to know how to live in right relationship with him. There's two dimensions to us. Vertical dimension of our relationship with God and horizontal dimension, our relationship with one another. And the first four commandments were to help them and they're to help us this morning to remember how are we to live in a right relationship with God? Well, first of all, you were to have no other gods before him. A clear reminder that God's people are to be totally and exclusively loyal to Him. Are you? He alone rescues His people from bondage. Therefore, He alone is worshipped. God had graciously rescued the Israelites from slavery, established a covenant relationship with them, and was about to fill the oath that He had made to their patriarchs through that second generation who were going to inherit the promised land. 
Therefore, Moses says, because it was the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, they were secondly not to make for themselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the waters below, nor were they to bow down to them or worship them. Because reducing the infinite God to a physical likeness was unacceptable and was nothing less than hatred of God. Do you remember last week when we journeyed back to Exodus chapter 32 when they made an image of God in the form of a golden calf? How did God respond to that? He said, Moses, go down. They have become corrupt. God is righteous and holy. We must not forget that. We should respond to him with reverence that he alone deserves. Remember, the Israelites were, in a spiritual sense, married to Yahweh through this covenant. And idolatry would breach that covenant and would be equivalent to spiritual adultery. And Moses wanted the people to remember that the Lord their God was a jealous God. Look at verse 9. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What does that exactly mean? Well, Moses makes it clear later on in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, that children are not punished for the sins of the parents. There he writes, but each will die for their own sin. So is there a contradiction going on here? No, absolutely not. What it means is that God may permit, and some of you may have experienced this, the sad, tragic consequences of sins of one generation that affect the second generation. The reality is there is sometimes some consequences, but it's not punishment from God for the sins of their parents. It's just the natural result of being raised in a home where maybe God isn't honored. And there might be some consequences that affect future generations, physically, mentally, emotionally, and for sure spiritually. But on the other side, in verse 10, he says, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So do you see the stark contrast between the consequences? Those stark contrasts should help us as parents be warned, but also give us motivation for parenting well. Amen? Thirdly, in their covenant relationship with God, they were not to misuse the name of the Lord their God. A lot of us probably going up church are familiar with the, the translation that says, taking the name of God in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Man, do I ever hear his name, not in this workplace, but in the community that I hang out with, used carelessly. God's name is to be revered and honored. It is not to be mentioned in careless ways or used like a divine charm to somehow invoke certain results. No, rather the psalmist says in Psalm 111.9, the name of the Lord is holy and awesome. And in teaching his disciples how to pray, in Matthew 6, 9, what did Jesus begin with? He began with focusing on the holiness of God the Father's name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. His name is to be revered because it represents his character. And how we honor 
his name is not just by guarding our mouths against using the Lord's name carelessly in an, in an unworthy manner, but it also involves my whole self and how I live. You see, we pray, hallowed be your name, and then folks, we live and speak in such a way that we actually become part of the answer to that prayer. How I guard my mouth, how I live my life helps others to see that God's name is holy. And then finally, in terms of leaving out their vertical dimension of their relationship with God, we read in verse 12, the fourth commandment. They were to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Every seventh day for them was to belong to the Lord and be set apart for rest. For rest. A break from work. And you can see in verse 14, he's very specific who gets rest. It's everybody, including the animals. And the historical precedent for such a special observance every seventh day was established by God during the creation week. Listen, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of the creating that he had done. God did not rest because he was tired. He's all-powerful. He rested in order to establish the pattern of our work cycle. A pattern that would later serve as a sign, as a testimony between he and the Israelites. Listen to what's written in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16 and 17. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come. Do you see how obeying affects the next generation? Celebrating it for generations to come is a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in the days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. I trust this morning by you prioritizing gathering together on the Lord's day, you already feel refreshed. I know I am. It has been so refreshing to worship with you this morning. The Sabbath was a benefit to them to give them a day of rest from their labors and to bless the Lord. And Jesus affirms that it's a gift from God to us in Matthew 2, 27, where he says that the Sabbath was made for man, for you and I. And so following the creation pattern of six days of work followed by a day of rest is a wise thing to do. Do an audit of your own life. Are you following the principle of this in your life? Life is busy, isn't it? And if we're not careful, working to improve one's livelihood can take over. And God wanted his people, as they're about to move into this new land, to realize that he wants relationship with them. And an integral, integral part of every good relationship is quality time with God. Amen? Quality time with each other. But notice the command in verse 15 to observe the Sabbath as part of the covenant with Israel was not only tied to the creation pattern, but it was also linked to their deliverance from Egypt. Look at verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see, while slaves in Egypt, they were not allowed to rest from their slave labor. 
So observing the Sabbath was to function as a day of rest in which their deliverance from slavery would be remembered with thanksgiving as a sign of their redemption. And you and I have come this morning on the Lord's day and we have sung together, we have prayed together, and now we're opening God's words together as a celebration and a remembrance of Christ's deliverance of us. And God's people were about to move into the promised land which is going to become their place of rest. As God's people today, we find our rest not in a place, but in a person, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And entering into the land of promised rest was only a shadow of what was to come in eternal heavenly rest. Listen to what the writer of Revelations 14, 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. And so, brothers and sisters, we have gathered here this morning on what is known as the Lord's Day to commemorate the new covenant of grace that we live under and celebrate the saving rest that we enjoy in Christ. Are you experiencing rest in Christ? I trust that you are because if you find your rest in Christ, your heart will be inclined upward on the journey. And so notice that both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant emphasize devoting one day in seven to the Lord for worship and service and rest. And prioritizing this will keep our hearts inclined upwards on the journey. So let me ask you, how's your vertical relationship with the Lord? Is your vertical relationship with God negatively affected because you're not taking the principles of any of these four commands seriously? Do you have any other gods before him? Do you have idols in your life that need to be removed and destroyed? Do you honor the holy and awesome name of God, not just with mouth, but with your whole being? And do you prioritize setting aside dedicated time each week to worship and serve God? Because knowing and following God's commands will keep our hearts inclined upwards. They not only help us with our relationship with Him, but secondly, His commands in particular The last six commands help us to know how to live in right relationship with one another. This is now the horizontal dimension of our lives. It's loving God, now learning how to love people. And we see in the fifth commandment where that begins. And as I was thinking about the service this morning, you need to understand that we don't sit there and and plan, okay, I think you need to sing this or that. No, we let the Holy Spirit move. And this week we had no time to meet because family day was on Monday, so I didn't have a chance to talk with Pastor Jordan. And as I watched how the Lord led him in directing the service this morning, what songs to sing, and then is it not any coincidence that we had eight families dedicating themselves to raising their kids to to know how to love Jesus and how to follow him. The fifth commandment, where does our right relationships with one another have to begin? In our homes. It starts in our homes. Living in right relationship with others must start in the home. Honor your father and your mother. You see, God has established clear authority structure for our society, and that begins with the family. 
And if you haven't been paying attention, please note, the family unit is under attack in our society. There's an obvious agenda to undermine God's given authority to parents in our society. Therefore, as his people, we need to guard against the attack. How? By demonstrating reverence for God in our families, that we are families who hear, who learn, and follow the commands of God, which includes teaching our children to obey their fathers and mothers. Children who grow up not learning to honor their parents are more likely to struggle with respecting other authorities outside of their home. Parents, through the power of the Holy Spirit, set an example for your kids and teach them what it means to honor you as their parents. And God graciously added a promise of blessing, didn't he, to the Israelites who obeyed this command. He said, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. And just so you know, that command is not just for them. It's still for us today. Paul in Ephesians 6, 1 and verse 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Living in right relationship with each other starts in our homes. But then living in right relationship with another also means these next five things, and we're going to go through them pretty quickly. It means, according to verse 17, protecting the sanctity of life. Just as the fifth commandment protects the sanctity of the home, the sixth commandment protects the sanctity of human life. Premeditated, intentional killing of any human being is prohibited because people are created in God's image. Therefore, human life has an inherently sacred attribute that must be respected and must be protected from the time of conception to the time that God determines a life is over. And anything short of that is usurping God's authority over life. Even an accidental death of a life in the time of Moses, people were carried away and banished as a punishment, although it was gracious that these places were provided, called cities of refuge. There's premeditated intentional killing and then there's accidental death that happens. And those who were part of that were banished to these cities of refuge where they would be separated from their loved ones for life or until the high priest who was serving at that time had died. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus replied, this is how you are to live in relationship with one another based on your relationship with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then, second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Interesting that these two, uh, the Lord incorporates the whole moral duty under these two categories of loving God and then loving one another. And isn't it interesting that it's those two things that differentiate the first four commandments from the last six. Love God, love one another. Protect the sanctity of life. It also means protecting the sanctity of marriage as designed by God. This commandment calls for sexual purity among God's people and to honor marriage as God's appointed way for the proper use and enjoyment of human sexuality. And this command is to be obeyed to protect the sanctity of the family. You shall not commit adultery. It also protects the sacredness of marriage, 
which like the Sabbath God instituted in creation between a man and a woman. And he blessed it as the means for filling the earth. And so serious was obedience to this command in ancient Israel of not committing adultery, which was also known as the great sin against God. It was considered a capital crime punishable by death. Look how far we have come as a society. Sadly, in today's society, it's hardly considered a sin, let alone a crime. And can I just say, for those of you who have been affected by this sin, I'm sorry. Please know that God does forgive the sexual sins of those who repent and follow Jesus. And he can heal broken hearts and relationships. But that does not mean there won't be some painful consequences on the journey. And in the New Testament, Jesus raises the bar on this issue of adultery to remind us that God looks at our heart, not only our external behavior. Oh, I'm not committing physical adultery. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27 and 28, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guard yourself against this sin. Protect the sanctity and the sacredness of your marriage. Next, do not take what does not belong to you. In the Eighth Commandment, we see that God is not only interested in the way we treat other people, but also in the way we treat other people's property. In a sense, adultery is like theft. It robs people of something very precious to them. Stealing in any form is a sin and is to have no part in the life of God's people. Have any of you been a victim of someone who has stolen something from you? I have, three times. Once as a kid in South Africa, they stole our car. It was packed full with supplies that we couldn't get in Zimbabwe. And the night before we crossed the border, the car was stolen. They took everything and then lit it on fire. A couple years ago, Jen and my daughter went up to our farm. When they got there, the door had been kicked in and the whole cottage was turned upside down. Yesterday, I was consoling one of my brothers who unfortunately his bank accounts were compromised this week and everything was taken and all of us go, wow, those are, those are bad things. But do we have the same reaction when we leech off our neighbor's Wi-Fi without permission? When we plagiarize? When we stream pirated videos? When we waste time at work and take a salary for work not performed? Or what about when we don't give joyfully to the Lord? If your conscience tells you that something is unethical, it probably is. Listen and don't quench the spirit by taking something that does not belong to you. And trust me, I learned this lesson because I was a thief when I was a kid. And I was a very good thief. And I'm grateful for God's saving grace and transforming power in my life. Ninth, we live in right relationship with others by not telling lies about others. Bearing a false testimony is also like theft, isn't it? For it robs people of their good reputation. 
Lying whether on the witness stand or over the back fence is forbidden. As one author said, being truthful is the, is the cement that holds society together. And as we see in our world today, things fall apart very quickly, don't they, when people don't keep their word. Whether in business, contracts, or at the marriage altar. And that's why Paul encourages us in Colossians 3, 9, and 10, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. This ninth command also includes slander. Talking bad about someone behind their back with the intention of hurting their reputation. As God's people, we should always be known for speaking the truth in love. Amen? And finally, how do we live in right relationship with one another? By not having sinful longings or desires in our hearts regarding anything that belongs to another. The tenth and final commandment focuses on coveting the sinful desires of the heart that we should not have. And coveting is wrong because it, it stems from discontent. It's a desire for something that God and his perfect will has not chosen to give you. Therefore, it's equivalent to being ungrateful. I was challenged by this one this week. I really was. Never thought of coveting that way. It's a root of ungratefulness that I have in my life that I would desire someone else's things. And like the first commandment, it deals with our inward attitudes rather than our outward actions. All sins originate from our hearts. That's why above all, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And let us not be deceived. The thoughts and the desires of our heart do not go unnoticed by God. He knows our thoughts no matter who or where we are. He knows our angry thoughts, our lustful thoughts, vengeful ideas, secret greed and hidden coveting. And God searches the hearts and minds of people. And he is seeking those whose hearts are turned, inclined upwards to him. And you know what, folks? If we obey the first command, you should have no other God before me. Guess what? That's really going to help with coveting. You should have no other God before me. The good news of God's salvation is that it comes with full care and provision. Amen? Who has experienced that in your own life? Salvation comes with total care and provision. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, uh, my daughter's down in school in Indiana, and uh, her friends are all going on March break, and she had lots of wonderful invitations, but those wonderful invitations cost a lot of money. And so we said, honey, why don't you just stay on campus, get studying done, get ahead of the game? And she said, oh, I'm totally good with that. She went to ask permission. Unfortunately, their university, everyone's going to leave during reading break. Now we're thinking, one of us drive down, that's two days. Let's, how about a flight from Buffalo to Toronto? What can we do? So we said, well, check with one of your friends who was going to Florida, and uh, her parents own an Airbnb there. Check if you can still get on with the trip with them, and we'll see what we can do to try and help you. So she checked in. Her dad was able to get her on her flight, and uh, so it was 150 US dollars for her to get on the flight to go down to be with her friends. So we said, okay. So Jen, who manages the money well in our family, I'm just the spender. She's the budget lady. It's phenomenal. It works well for us. And uh, she said in her mind, you know what? I was thinking we'll, we'll cover the ticket and maybe give her a little bit of spending money because you don't want her to be that pastor's kid who's there, but I can't go do anything, right? You know how it is? So anyway, so she had in her mind, we're going to give her $350. Someone came to us and said, hey, I heard Natalie's going to go down, da-da-da-da. 
I want to pay for her trip. He went, well, you don't have to do that. Like we figured, no, I, I want to be generous with what God gave me. I want, I want to help her out. How much is the ticket? We told the individual $150. They said, okay, $150, okay. How about this? How about if I give you $350? That way she has spending money. You don't think God takes care of the details? The same figure that Jen had wisely, prudently, discernly come to, this is manageable, $350. Isn't that unbelievable? God's salvation comes with full care and provision. You don't need to covet. And so I ask you in your horizontal relationships with others, are they being negatively affected because you're not taking the principles of any of these commands seriously? In what areas of your life has a deeper look into God's laws it has in my life this week caused you to realize there's areas in my life I'm missing the mark? I was very challenged reading through this familiar passage this week. So what do you need to do about that? Here's what I did. I confessed, repent of my sins, and follow Jesus. That's what we're to do. You see, the purpose of the law of God, which he used to establish his covenant relationship with the Israelites, was to reveal his character to them, his glory, his greatness, his holiness. And it was also a means by which the Lord would reveal to mankind the sinfulness of us and our inability to keep the law. And ultimately, it was to point them towards the need for a Savior who God would give. His name is Jesus Christ. That generation would never go back to see the fire, the cloud, the darkness, the lightning, or hear the awesome voice of God speak from that mountain. But on the move, Moses wanted to remind them of the majesty of God, listen, and the authority of his word. And in his appeal for them to hear the decrees and laws of God, to learn them and be sure to follow them, he quotes Jehovah's own words, and this is my prayer for us this morning as we wrap up our time together. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always. That's what I pray for us. Oh, that the people who attend Calvary Baptist Church as their home church, their hearts would be inclined to fear God and to keep all his commands always. Let's pray. Father, thank you for challenging us this morning through your word. Thank you for the sermon that you gave Moses so many years back for that second generation on the brink of going into the promised land, of the importance of keeping their hearts inclined upwards through experience and remembering God's great salvation, through knowing and following his commands. Oh God, I pray that that would be our experience as well. Thank you for the great salvation you have given to us. As we remember it, Lord, as, as you restore unto us the joy of our salvation, I pray that we would be a people who walk in obedience to your word. Oh God, help us to be a congregation whose hearts are inclined to fear you and to keep all your commands always. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Praise God that he who initiates relationship with us is faithful and his grace will not only save us but lead us home. Amen? That is good news. He will go before us. The question is, will we follow? And I believe that if we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, 
Remember his great salvation. Learn his commands and be sure to follow them. We will, out of that motivation, we will follow him. We will follow him and he will lead us. And so I encourage you as God's people, remember God's great salvation. This week, make some adjustments in your routine in terms of taking time to learn God's word and then commit through the power of the Holy Spirit to following him. Amen. May God bless you on the journey this week as you keep your hearts inclined upwards. We look forward to gathering this afternoon. If you've registered for the dinner, that's at five o'clock. If not, please come back for our meeting at six o'clock. It's been a great night when we will remember God's grace to us over the past year. May God bless you.